Well, hello everyone. Episode 21. You've arrived at, to the RSS podcast. I just want to say what a guest we've got coming along. I mean, it's a Sheffield United women's player, David. Let's go. Love a bit of professional sport with RSS podcasts are reaching new heights. Basically, we talk about juggling professional sport with the Masters and in women's football. We talk about the struggles that can bring, not being a full-time athlete. I mean, we just talk about so many stuff and we only get to scratch a little bit of the surface with the injuries. So there might be a part two coming up. Depends how much you guys all enjoy it. And David, I think you've got um, a tweet of the week. Tweet of the week as well. Yeah. Yeah. Second tweet of the week. We've got a question. And this is the question was, what is one thing you wish you knew at the start of your PhD? We got bare replies. And some of them, some of them are just for PhD students, but I think others, we'll talk about it a little bit, I think can go beyond that. You know, if it's new job, new environment, new school, new degree. So we'll jump into that straight after as well. Uh, we're so excited about this episode. Hey guys, episode 21, let's jump in. We got humbled. Um, so I'd like to start this video by saying I am very sorry um, for <laughs> my lack of knowing everything in SNC as a person who's just started out. Not like uh, I not like I was affected by this, but you know, um, didn't hurt my feelings at all. It's not like I don't read those comments every single second of my life right now, but that's all right. Oh, <laughs> uh, that it was it was hilarious. You know what? I have I have a little bit of blame as well, and we'll get it. So we, if you watched last week's episode, we talked about a deadlift, which we thought just looked ridiculous, didn't we? And I hold and up, I, hold up. I still want to point out. Sorry, I still want to point out. It is still ridiculous. There may be some scientific value that I have not seen yet. Right, I'll double down because. I, it, there may be some actual like scientific principles that are being used that maybe I just haven't learned yet as I've just started, but I can still say it does look ridiculous because it does look ridiculous, but it could it still be ridiculous. working. Even though the guys are world champion, fair play. I all respect yes. you. It's amazing. Yeah. Athlete. So that's, that's just, on me. That's how, basically, we just made fun of this person on Instagram, which probably, you know, we should have done our background and it's, <laughs> I just, I just fed you this video without any context. Turns out this guy, and this is where we should just, we should have known who it was, done a bit of background, noticed that he's a world record breaker, Olympian champ, Olympic champion, world champion, probably the fastest human to do the 400 meter hurdles in the world. Right. Carson, Carson Warholm. I'm hoping I say his name right. And here's the thing. Here, oh, you it's a funny comments. <laughs> here's the thing. Last time I said, here's the thing. We got absolutely smoked on Instagram. That's the first time I've actually deleted a comment because it was just ridiculous. The first time. I was just going to say that who thought that actually having context surrounding a video would be a good idea? Probably. Who knows? Well, I think the first podcast we said was like, be critical of things, you know, and we just saw something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous. Silly makes no sense. Yeah, yeah, but hey. yeah, and and I, yeah. So so we should we should give him credit. He's he's good at what he does, and there's a reason for that. Now we're, I don't know. After knowing that the the person actually is you know a a, a world champion, do you do you change your mind on on the exercise? If if people didn't watch it, just go onto our 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 Instagram. Uh, there's just a clip on there of it and you can see the the little bit of a brief that we 
that we talked about or YouTube, it's on there as well. So if you don't know what we're talking about, go there and you will know what we're talking about. But do you change your mind on the exercise? Like I... I will happily have an open conversation with someone to discuss why I am wrong or why they believe that exercise is great. Because at the end of the day, if there is great scientific evidence or not even um, to an extent anecdotal, but like if it is working, you can't just say, oh, because he's doing that exercise, that's what's made him the world champion and the fastest 400 meter run ever, you know, because that doesn't make sense. Obviously, there's a multitude of factors, but if, you mm. know, I'd like to actually genuinely find out. So instead of just saying that um, you will hate me, um, maybe just have a conversation with me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I think maybe it's also yeah. important to to know that this person's a four, like a world champion. So it's not like he just went to the gym and started lifting this weight this way. I had a good conversation with with an SNC coach um, who's very involved and high up in British athletics, and he and maybe we can get on the podcast. That'd be amazing. So I'll have to have a chat with him. But but he said he said you know. He actually said that he doesn't, and I don't know if I should say all of this because maybe he should come on the podcast and say it as well, but I'll say a little bit. He said he doesn't we'll actually know how much it. risk. We'll tease it. We'll tease it. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I just sounds good at the right time as well. I know you did. You did. You did. We didn't plan that either, but yeah, I think, I think you are the same as me. We stepped into, into a bit of a, into a, a bit of a, a a pot of hot coals with that one just not just not doing our due diligence and knowing the context around the video that was you know what you know what know a little learn a lot that's the motto of the rss podcast in in february <laughs> know a little learn a lot keep your eyes open you keep go. your eyes on the prize um but but the, hey it was it was an eventful 24 hours on the instagram of the rss podcast so it was yeah it was very yeah. interesting um speaking of knowing and learning david what did you know and learn on twitter today not today oh, tweet of the week i hope we can keep these going because they're they're quite good i tweeted out what is the one thing you wish you knew at the start of your phd and i got some good responses as usual got some funny ones as well one guy said that i wish he said um i wish i that i wish i wouldn't have started it that i would fail one guy, one person said, "I wish I knew the quantum field theory at the start of my PhD." Oh man, can drop me a message. I know all about that um, stuff. You know, yeah, pneumothorax, yeah. Know. quantum field th- field theory. I know all. Oh, yeah, breakfast. That's what you. That's what you talk about before you do your morning Sudoku. Sudoku can't even say it. <laughs> you said pneumothorax though very well there so that's good um but i got it i got some good ones stress management is a good one and we talk a little bit about managing stress expectations on yourself in the interview so make sure you stick around because that's coming up literally right after this perfection is the enemy of good i thought that was good Perfection is the enemy of good. It's so interesting because I think we can get caught in perfectionism, but I think it's also a slippery slope of just being like, oh, like I don't want to be perfectionist and then just doing mediocre work. Yeah, as yeah. Well. you should always strive. Yeah, you should always strive for perfection in a way. Yeah, but I guess when, when, at what point does that become detrimental is the question you have to ask yourself. This, this was good. Three years is not a lot of time. And I think surface level, that kind of just relates to a PhD, but maybe like new job, if you're getting into a new environment or maybe starting a new degree, whatever it is, 
I think you just don't know how long you're going to be there for. And I think that time just goes so quickly. So like we've talked about it before of like not wasting time and just taking the getting the most out of the situation that you're in. There was one really, really good one that I'm going to find. Um, the importance of finding your people, the ones who really understand what the experience is like, allow you to vent, lean on them, etc. when the journey becomes quite challenging. I found these people, but I wish I had them earlier on. That's some deep wisdom there, isn't it? Bloody hell. I mean, you just saw me just peer off into the darkness of sadness just thinking about, yeah. That is How quite alone deep, you are actually. again. <laughs> Let me know. So that's such a good, that's such a good, I think we take, you know, the people around us so um, um, for granted sometimes, but I think finding that, you know, support network of people that you can vent to is just so, so important. A hundred percent. And I mean, this is a hell of a transition, venting to people, talk about venting to people, right? That interview that we just well, that we, you guys are going to listen to right now. We went through everything about finding the great people that you can rely on. What do you look for in a coach? Like, what should a coach be? So that was a great experience as an SNC coach just starting, hearing a player yeah. actually talk about the experiences she's had with SNC coaches or head coach, technical staff, physio staff. It, it, it was a great conversation. And we also talk about the struggles of trying to balance everything at, on one go so it was it was one great conversation i'll tell you what it's a part one of a three-parter i think it's we can't, just amazing. we can't wait to get this person back on the podcast hopefully we can shoot some content with her as well honestly it was such a great conversation 100%. i took i have a whole a whole like page and a half of notes that i took off of it um it, it's such a quality yeah. interview and we really appreciate her coming on to the podcast so without further ado should we jump in yes david let's go here we go We are so excited to introduce our third guest on the Real Sports Science podcast, Ellie Wilson. She just finished her Master's of Musculoskeletal Sports Science and Health, also at Loughborough University, where I had the pleasure of getting to know her there. Uh, she's got several promotions to the FA WSL League number one and currently plays for Sheffield United, where she's been since July. 2020 i hope i got that all right she's also a sports massage therapist get into that a little bit as well uh but welcome to the podcast ellie thank you so much for coming on we really really appreciate it how are you doing today yeah really good thank you thanks for having me on as always <laughs> we finally figured out there was there there was an absolute abundance of technical issues uh but we're here <laughs> we're in and hopefully uh, it doesn't cut out so although I did uh, that unbelievable intro, which I'm sure touched on every single aspect of your career, uh, if you could give us a bit of a more Cole's note of your progression, how you've gotten to where you are now, uh, kind of academic and also uh, in your football career, uh, that would be unbelievable. Yeah, sure. So I've always sort of valued like my academic studies alongside my playing career as well not too sure where that came from but from a young age I just felt like that was important so yeah I did um I was playing for Reading Football Club which was where I first got scouted um obviously down from down south so I tried for about four years before I actually got into the academy 
And I think during that time developed my sort of passion for the game and repeatedly being told that I wasn't good enough, you know, eventually ended up getting in. So started my career down there at Reading, progressed through there, you've set up, um, I then went to college at the John Modeski Academy, which was affiliated with Reading Football Club, um, did my A-levels there. During that time, I then got my first England call-up, which was obviously a big moment for me. Um, I wanted to go to America, actually, at the time for to continue my studies like for university. But once I got the call-up for England, I kind of thought I wanted to go to the States to better myself as a player so that I could get into the international setup. But once I got the call-up, I kind of thought it might pay to stay in the UK and carry on playing here. So um, I went to uni, which was, again, affiliated with Reading Football Club. I went to Bucks New Uni in High Wycombe. Um, at the same time as transferring to Bristol City. So that's where I continued playing my football for a couple of years. We got promoted with Reading. So just before I left um, Reading, that was our, my first promotion. Then during my time at Bristol City, um, we got promoted to the champ- uh, to the WSL as well. Um, and then I took a two-year gap out of studying after I did my undergrad in sports science during which time I was playing for Barnet. So I had two years out while I was just playing football. I was only playing part-time, um, needed a break from studying. And then I got bored of not studying, so I came back and did a Masters at Loughborough and tied that in for signing for Sheffield United. So that's pretty much my life since I started playing football. Obviously met you, David, at uni at that time. Um, and I've been at Sheffield United since 2020, which is when I started my Masters. So, yeah. Which feels... I mean, I guess it's almost three years ago now, but it feels yeah. like ages ago. That's actually crazy that it's been through, like, well, not um, like coming up on three years, I suppose, in mm-hmm. September or July since you've you've been in Sheffield. How was yeah, that? Yeah, it's crazy. The time's just flown. Like when yeah. I just felt like something was right, you know, the right time to move to Chef. And I moved to Loughborough to live at that time to tie in with UD. And I've ended up living in Chef, but it still doesn't feel like that was three years ago. It was only yeah. a one-year Masters, but anyway, we won't touch on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <how did> that? <laughs> get into that a little bit more later. Yeah. <laughs> we could be here for hours speaking to you uh, about a Masters, women's football, your involvement with the with the Blades, injuries, because you haven't had an easy time uh, with that over the last few years, uh, for mm-hmm. sure, with, with concussions and, and then uh, ACL tear as well. Uh, one thing... Th- I mean, you've been all over the place with football and has and a lot of transitions. How, was that difficult or d- did that kind of fuel your motivation to keep going with football or, or were there points where you're like, oh, like another move? Do I really want to go through that to continue? I think it's it's more exciting, really. And I was actually speaking to um, one of my mates that plays the other day and it's quite cool that in the profession of of football whether you're a player or somebody who just works in the sport like the sport can literally take you anywhere that could be in the country it could be anywhere in the world it's quite a luxury in that sense um and if you're somewhere where you're enjoying it it doesn't really feel like work or you know the only only difficult thing is that you're obviously moving away from home moving away from family friends and especially in the women's game it's quite um it's not very secure at times so you only have short term contracts like a year long two years so you don't really know where you're going to be one year to the next which that side of it can be a bit difficult but it's also quite mm-hmm. exciting it's challenging keeps you on your toes like you're always you know thinking about what your next move is but for me I've, since I've been at Sheffield I've probably like found a home here and just really taken to the north and like the city and the club and everything as a whole so yeah that's yeah. quite nice as well when you find yourself like comfortable in one spot yeah yeah 
Well, that that's. Huge. I was gonna. Sorry, if I could just chime in a bit. I was just wondering how, <laughs> like, the stress is though, because I I just did a masters, and for that one year, I was incredibly stressful, and that was without <laughs> like trying to do rugby on the side. I can't mm -hmm. imagine trying to do anything academic as well as being sort of like a full-time athlete as well. Cause I mean, there's massive stresses in both of those aspects. And I was just wondering mm -hmm. how, how do you manage it? Yeah. I mean, um, I won't be taking on another master's anytime soon, put it that way. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's hard. Like it is hard. I mean, it's also from a football point of view, um, Sheffield United and a lot of the clubs have been at, have been part-time. Um, so it does give you a little bit more time to do other things, whether that's working, studying or whatever you're doing. But yeah, it's like I started that one year course and I've, I've ended up spreading it over three years purely because of, like you say, that, that time commitment and stress that comes with it. Like it is difficult. I mean, a lot of people say, you know, like part-time athlete, but I, I don't think there is such a thing as a part-time athlete because you've got to make the training sessions and then it's hard to mm -hmm. say if you've had a, a training session, which has just been in a high pressure environment and you're, you're trying to make selection at what point, you know, it, is it that difficult to turn off the, the mindset of, you know, just constantly thinking about selection, constantly thinking about game day. Um, when mm -hmm. you've got to prepare for exams or a bit of coursework, it just, I feel like there is no such thing as part-time athlete. It's always full-time because it's always on your mind. Yeah, I'd absolutely agree with that to be fair. Um, the only thing that makes it part-time is, is like the pay side of it. So it, with that then mm. comes a commitment to, you have to go and work obviously like you've got bills and stuff to pay but in terms of your commitment as an athlete and expectations on you in terms of like 24-hour athlete you've got your commitments to the gym like your nutrition sleep things like that I don't think there is anything as such as a, a part-time athlete because it is 24-7 so like you know you can't I found it most difficult recently being up to stupid o'clock in the morning finishing the dissertation knowing that I'll be fine the <laughs> yeah. next day but I'm then going to be on the training pitch until like 9 10 p.m at night the following day like on three or four hours sleep that's just ridiculous like and the club it's good that the clubs can now work with you to factor that in if you like like if I am absolutely shattered I'll let the staff know and you know I'm not expecting an awful lot mm. from myself in that sense but if it's at a time where you're competing for a shirt for example that's difficult because yes, I really want my shirt and that's a priority for me, but I also have a deadline. So it, it's just a case of weighing up the priorities throughout your career. Like whether that's work versus football studies versus football, whatever it is, you know, it is one hell of a juggling app though. Yeah, massively. That's literally all it is. With, with that, like how, how did you manage expectations of firstly of yourself and expectations then externally from whether it's, masters or or from the club how did you manage those and and what did you do when those expectations weren't met whether for like yourself your expectations or from from other people so i think the most important expectations from my experience are the ones that you have of yourself because they need to be realistic you're the one that has to deliver whether that be on the pitch or academically whatever environment you're in um, and the biggest thing for me, like I said, is it literally is a juggling act. So just prioritizing what's the most important at that moment in time. Nine times out of 10, it's football. So if I'm meant to be working on a weekend or taking, if I was looking at another job or something and that was going to clash with football straight away, it's just a no go, like it cuts off your options. But in terms of studying, I'll just tend to kind of prioritize even just on a daily basis, you know, like if I, I need to be up late, but I've got training the next day. How close is my deadline? Can I afford to be a bit tired for training on that day? Or do I absolutely need to get this work done? Like things like that. And I think in terms of the club's involvement in that, the only time they've ever really been involved is is probably where my own expectations or my own um, 
prioritization is shifting more towards something that isn't football. So if I'm all of a sudden prioritizing like my studies and staying up late and making sure I can get it done, then that might cost me on the training pitch. And if I know that that's happening or I know that that's going to be a thing or I'm going to be really tired or whatever, then it's important for me to let the staff know. You know, like if I'm not, if I am underperforming, then instead of them going, oh, why is Ellie playing rubbish today or what's going on with her or whatever, they might realise actually, okay, she's probably been up till 4am doing a dissertation. So maybe cut some slack. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But you've got to be open and, and honest and have those conversations. And then they're very, they're not very frequent it could, because football is, is the priority for me. So Anything else that clashes with football tends to get disregarded because um, that is, like I say, my priority unless there's something that's really pressing, like a dissertation deadline. Um, for about a week's period, I was kind of like, Do you know what, I'm going to have to just cut myself some slack on the training pitch and, and just let everyone know that's where I'm at this week and it is what it is. If I'm selected, I'm selected. If I'm not, then I'm not. So that was the important I'm thing sorry, that moment time. Just to add a question on the back of that, is are there players um, within the club that are full-time? So are they are they paid full-time? Um, not at Sheffield United, no. Um, some clubs in our division have like a hybrid model, so some will be paid full-time, others won't be. Um, but okay. the majority of the teams in our league are now full-time, so that's their yeah, main, their main I, occupation. Yeah, I was just wondering in terms of, because that would be another another detrimental factor that would be playing on any player's mind you know I've got to fight for a, a jersey and I think there is some teams even in rugby where there is that hybrid model and it makes it difficult because if people are working say a job on the side then they're also going uni or they've also got to play a sport and then someone else is just full-time that's their whole role it's just mm-hmm. how do you compete with that um when you know I just find it a bit of a, a hectic situation mentally and physically to put your body yeah. through and yeah no it definitely is stressful like the the week that my dissertation was due in is it's probably a perfect example of all things going on at the same time like yeah. i've got a disc yeah. due in that i'm I've, i'm on top of it but i know that for a fact that i work better at night so that doesn't help me because i know that i'm not going to get as much sleep but during that time i was also trying to win my shirt back like and i was kind of on yeah. the verge of it so it was really important for me to be on top of that pitch performance side of things I know I needed to get sleep recover eat whatever and and perform well but I also knew that off the pitch I wasn't giving my best myself the best opportunity to do that because I knew I had other things going on like outside so that's work uni whatever I knew that I had other things that I needed to focus on and at that moment in time when my deadline's on a Thursday for my university work then that has to take priority because that deadline isn't going to shift. You know, if I miss one game or I don't get selected for this one game, I'll go again next week, but I can't do my dissertation the following week. So that's, it doesn't happen very often, like, but it's, it is a constant juggling act. Yeah. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. I don't think I could ever, ever be able to do that. So yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, a lot of the, um, whenever I've been in the gym with the academy lads, they're, you know, if we say, oh, I'm off to work or can't stick about or whatever, they kind of look at you like, work? Like, what? Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, no, I've, I've got to go to work this afternoon. And they're like, what do you mean work? Like, they're going home to play FIFA and chill out until they have training the next day. Yeah. And that whole concept to them, like, it just seems alien. And I'm sure that's not all, all cases for lads training and playing at academies. But, yeah, when you're working, like, multiple jobs and studying and playing, this is, like, constant. <laughs> Yeah, because it doesn't it doesn't allow you to actually recover fully. I'd say because you you you're reducing your sleep. Your sleeping schedule, as you said, is getting going all over the place. You know, mm-hmm. instead of going say doing recovery or rehab sort of 
things you've got other stuff on your mind and well to be doing um yeah yeah it, so- it sounds a lot like the conversation we had last week matt about people trying to jump into crossfit and training like the pros but it, you know they yeah. forget that they've got nine to five jobs as well but then you're mm-hmm. doing the nine to five job and also having to compete at a very very high level yeah and that's the thing that's that's been difficult it's like the expectation on us as athletes is increasing every season and rightly so that is a good thing but the expectation doesn't always match what you're like the resources that you're given in return in terms of like being able to be a full-time athlete and not having to work. So it's like, we're constantly under the pressure of going like this, but our own um, expectations and pressures are also increasing as well. So it's kind of like something's got to give. <laughs> Whereas if you're just full-time, you just, like you say, you just focus 100% on your football and that's that. So yeah, yeah we'll see. You, me- you mentioned <laughs> that, that you kind of, that communication was key that you needed to have those those conversations of being like hey this is where i'm at because at the at this time i have this priority outside of mm-hmm. football like your thesis do in three nights um mm-hmm. how how did you build those relationships and that trust for them to know that you would come to them and be open with them and that you're not just like you're skiving or something like that, you know, because that definitely takes yeah. a lot of trust on your part to know that they're going to take that and be like, this isn't me saying I don't care about football. You know, like that's, mm-hmm. that's a big step on your part. How did you build, get to that point? Yeah. I've never really thought about that to be fair, but um, I think it's important for the clubs to like encourage players to have other like vocations and interests and things anyway, particularly when you are a part-time model, they can't kind of close off those doors to you because one, you're not going to play football forever. Everybody knows that anyway. Um, and two, it's important to have other things as a backup anyway. So, it, you know, even if you are in a full-time role and in loads of money and blah, 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 as a top-level pro, you could get injured tomorrow and that could be that. So, like, what else are you doing? So the clubs always encourage you to kind of branch out into other areas. But I think in terms of how I approach those conversations from my point of view, once I know that the club encourages that as well, they'll see that as a positive I'm studying and they'll see it as a positive that I'm doing other work and things like that. As long as it doesn't conflict all the time, which it doesn't. I think when I combine that with the fact that I work hard at all times, like I kind of, I pride myself on my work rate and putting hundred percent in, like I'm first in the training, training ground and I'm last out nine times out of 10. I know it sounds really cliche, but I literally am <laughs> like, so I, I know that I've kind of built up a bit of credibility in that sense. And, if I need to take a day off or I need to do X, Y, Z to prioritize something that's not football, I'd like to think that I can be granted that opportunity because they know that it's not me skiving because I've already proven my commitment to the club and my commitment to the role of being an athlete, if that makes sense. Do you think that's a big reason why you've you've come to feel so at home in Sheffield and in the club? Because you know you can have that conversation. You know that they don't see that as a negative and they trust you? Yeah, I think that's part of it. Um, it's just about building good relationships with the people you work with, whether that's your teammates or staff or head coach, whatever. Um, the head coach at the time, Neil Redfern, he was very kind of approachable um, and really good in terms of like man management. So if you ever have any issues, whatever it is, um, on or off pitch stuff, I knew that I could go and air it to him or get his advice or whatever. And that kind of helps as well. So when you have those um, good relationships, it means you can have honest conversations and, you know, if I'm one of those people that is in the gym doing the bare minimum all the time and just kind of doing a little bit and then heading off home, when I ask for a bit of time off, they might be a bit like, mm, 
is she just can she just not be bothered or what <laughs> so I just try and make sure that whenever I am in I just give absolutely 100% and hopefully when I do occasionally need something like that can be accommodated for mm-hmm. yeah I, th- I think that's a in- really interesting point as you know someone who's striving to be an snc coach or you look at physios that there's not just a role of trying to increase or enhance an athlete's physical performance you've also got to be sort of the the psychologist in a way or be be their friend you've got to ask the questions you've got to pick up on these different sort of signals that you're getting sent um mm-hmm. and you've got to go out of your way and go out of your role responsibilities wise to um reach out to that player to make sure that you're also there as a friend and also there to be someone that they can trust and also be comfortable with so it's not always mm-hmm. you're trying to in- make an environment that's just there to you know let, let's lift weights let's beat our scores let's strive for elite or strive for professionalism you've got to also make the environment nice and comfortable where the player can actually be themselves and reach out yeah. if they do need help because at the end of the day that could be a massive uh, detrimental factor in in actually getting the athlete where they need to be yeah absolutely i think on an individual level you everyone's been in positions where they've worked with people or a colleague or a boss or something that's been really really good and effective and everyone's been in a situation where the people just don't click and I think for me coming to Sheffield United I've just really found an environment that suits me like I'll get on well with all the staff I get on well with all the players um somewhere that you want to be and that comes from also the people around you if you feel valued in an environment then you're going to put more into it and probably get more out of it as well so it's kind of give and take yeah. in that sense and I think as I've like got a bit older kind of realized the importance of having those relationships with the people around me because ultimately you're all there on the same you know same role like to help each other so the more honest you can be the the better your results as a group as well as it as individuals and having having a staff or an environment at a club where you do feel like that you can get the help you need at any certain point in time or you've got the sort of teammates that will get you through and having that sort of, I don't know what to say, where everything's sort of firing on all cylinders at the same time and it's all working well. Have you seen like a positive effect on, I mean, yourself physically, mentally, you know, in all, all sort of aspects? You're, are you enjoying football a whole lot more now? Yeah, no, 100%. When I first um, signed for Sheffield United, we were very much of the thought that we wanted to get promoted that season. And to me, that was just like exactly what I wanted as well. So I felt like I was coming yeah. into an environment that was motivated. It was hungry. Everybody was on the same page, you know, high intensity all the time. Work ethic was on point. And we all had a very, like, you know, a common goal that was a massive goal as well. So coming into that environment, I just felt like I slotted in straight away because like I say, it was just a perfect match. But then as as things progressed, you obviously find yourself in different situations, like as a player, as a person. I ended up getting injured that season. So that, again, came as another big barrier. Um, and my yeah. battles then became working with more of the medical team and the off-pitch stuff rather than, you know, the performance of, of going out and winning every game because we want to get promoted. Like, my my take on it kind of twisted a little bit because of, of where I was at. Um, but then those relationships and things are still just as important. It just might be in a slightly different way or with different individuals with a different goal. I think you have such a you have such a unique perspective uh, as an athlete coming from an academic background, and also uh, working within sport outside. So I know right now you're working as a sports massage therapist in a clinic, right? And then before that, mm-hmm. you're working kind of as a trainer in a gym as well. Um, so you have that unique perspective of having having both sides of the picture. For you, when you think of like what makes a good trainer, especially in in the environments that you're in where it's not like full-time football and you can't just go hundred percent. You have to take all these different 
external environment factors into account. What what's important for you to see in a trainer or or a coach or physio that says, yeah, this person, I I I'm gonna I don't know, trust this person, or I know this person has the best for me in store and just doesn't want to like hammer me hope. Uh, what what makes you kind of buy into what a trainer is saying because of what they do? I think the most important thing is that that trainer, say trainer, like I'm copying your um, your dialect now. <laughs> your coach <laughs> yeah, nice, or whatever. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, your coach or your gaffer, <laughs> as they, <laughs> that they basically value you. I genuinely think that is the most important um, variable factor, whatever you want to say, because I just think if you're going into an environment, no matter where you're at as an individual athlete, um, where you're at in terms of your own personal goals as a group, whatever it is, I just think that if you don't feel valued in that environment, you're not going to get the most out of that person. And that, that includes whether that person is an injured player, whether that person is a starting player, whether that person is a sub that could be coming into the game. But like biggest things, like, you know, basics like acknowledging people, asking people how the day's been, showing that you actually have a genuine interest in them as a person. I think that just comes first and foremost because all the football side of things, like sport is quite, it can be quite cutthroat and it's never a reflection on people or individuals. Well, rarely, you know, everyone wants to win a game and that's kind of people's primary motive in terms of the decisions that they make. So in order to not take those things personally, you have to be on a, you have to have good relationships with people as people, if that makes sense. So I just think if you've got a good culture and a good environment, then that says to the athlete, yeah, do you know what? I trust you. I trust that you actually have my best interests at heart. If I ask you a question, are you going to be willing to help me? Are you able to help me? Things like that. Um, and then it allows you to then have more honest conversations. I can go to the SNC coach and be like, hey, can I look at my GPS data? Where do I need to improve? Can you give me some ideas of what I can do? Or medically, is there something else I need to address? Can I go and ask the staff that and know that they're going to help me and have my best interests at heart? And I think once you've got those underlying relationships, then it makes like other conversations a lot easier going forwards, no matter how the season's going. I think that's like every time I speak to someone who's in an elite environment as a as an S&C coach who's just starting on their career and looks to, you know, strives to be in the elite environment in the future. It's just the greatest opportunity to be able to speak to these people and um, players and just understand what they want as a, for an S&C coach, because obviously you want the SNC coach to have the knowledge to be able to safely prescribe exercises to program effectively to get you where you need to go um, in terms of your like aims set by the technical coaches. But um, yeah, you want them to also be a human being as well. And mm-hmm. it is, it is lovely to hear, you know, your, your side of things and what you want to see in a coach. And especially as David said earlier, you've got a unique perspective where you've got both of the fields, both of the environments. So it is, it is interesting um, mm-hmm. and a great point of view. Yeah. You just want them to be human beings just to be able to talk to them sometimes. And I guess the other thing is to have honesty within them. Yeah. You don't want just to ask them and then they give you some answer that they were told by the coaches, you know, like a fake answer that doesn't really help you in any sort of way. So say like, if you're saying like, Oh, why wasn't I selected? Was it because of anything that I could have been doing in the gym? And they give you, no, no, no. They just give you the same response that the five other mm-hmm. people within that team would have given. Um, so yeah, I think honesty is a massively big part of it. And I've heard it from other players as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd yeah. agree with that massively as well. Probably put that joint top, <laughs> if not second. Because yeah. I just think for me as a person, I'm, I'm somebody who wants the honest answer as well. 
And I can't even count the amount of times that I've gone to people, staff, teammates or whatever and been like, look, I don't care if it's an answer that you know I'm not going to want to hear. <laughs> I would rather know it and it be the honest one. If I'm not starting because I've trained horrendously all week, that's fine. That's on me. Or it's your opinion. It's one or the other. But at least we have an honest, <laughs> an honest platform as to what the answer is. Rather than saying, oh, you're not playing because you're not fit enough or you're not playing because XYZ's performed better when you know they haven't or whatever like just be honest and yeah. I think that's that is a that comes into the whole you know generating like a good culture and, and just being decent humans and decent people to each other like yes you might be my boss or I might be your boss or clinician or whatever it is but if you can mm. get on with people on a and you're quite personable in that sense and vice versa then yeah, you've got the foundings of a good relationship in a professional sense and you can have these honest conversations and it not not be an issue. Like a couple of times there might be something medically, like David obviously said, I've had, you know, injuries with ACL, concussion, things like that. We might we're gonna need a whole answer. we're gonna That's we're gonna need a whole another episode. <laughs> it's a series so we could get into that. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely is a series. But um those sorts of like I've had quite complex injuries as well. And I think for me, knowing that the clinicians and the people I'm working with have my interest at heart has been massively important. Me trusting their their abilities and judgment as, you know, a doc or a physio or an SNC or whatever it is, is also important. But also just people being able to say, do you know what? I'm actually not sure. Like, if that's not worked, we've tried this, we've tried that. If you don't know, then it's absolutely fine. Just don't don't kind of like make it up to you, make it out to me like, oh, I think it's X, Y, Z. It's like, if you don't know, that's absolutely fine. But let's go and seek out extra help from elsewhere. Like, again, it just comes under that honesty umbrella. Like, if you're not sure on something or why an athlete's underperforming or why this lift isn't working for them or why an injury keeps reoccurring, if you don't know the answers, it's fine. Just be honest about it and be honest about it with the athlete and, and go and find the right help so, so you can fix it, you know? I think that's just important as well. That's such a good point. Yeah, yeah it's so true. It's interesting that everything just kind of seems to circle back to culture and building relationships, whether that's at like a, a club level or a professional level, full time, mm-hmm. part time. It all comes back to that. And how is that? How's that been? Because you had a um, obviously staffing changes this year as well, football wise. Mm-hmm. New coach, manager. I'm not exactly sure what the correct <laughs> term to use in this country is. Uh, but, but how's, how's that been obviously like within the, within the dynamic of the team? Cause that's a big change. And also then having new people come in with, with culture shifts as well. Yeah, sure. It's, it's like, it can be, it can be a good thing, can be a negative thing. Like, you know, for individuals, it'd be different because everyone works differently with people. But I was like, when there's a, a first change, I think everyone from a footballing point of view thinks oh, my shirt's up for grabs here. You know, like a new face has come in, new boss, whatever, I've got to impress. So you always notice a big spike in kind of the intensity of trading, things like that, Um, because people are just being really competitive and want to prove that they should be starting on a weekend, which is completely natural. Um, But yeah, it's just about getting that culture right. And I think as long as whoever comes in, be it male, female, whoever, um, has goals and standards that they want to kind of get across and can create the culture that they they'd like um it's just a case of people then buying into it and just moving forward and has there been buy-in do you have a a new a new coach now we have um interim coach at the minute so they're still looking for to sort of appoint um full-time but it's a difficult point in the season because we've only got sort of three months left um of this year so yeah it's a bit of a bit of a difficult one but and yeah, that interim we'll one were, were they were they already in the in the organization 
Yeah, so um, he'd worked with us previously under the previous manager as well, so quite a familiar face, which is a good thing. And, you know, it's just about getting results for us at this point because we're, we've not been doing too great in, on recent results. So just need to shift a few things and it kind of gives a new energy, someone else coming in, different philosophies, different way of playing, different opinions. Um, so, yeah, it's something to adapt to. It is diff- It can be difficult as players. Um, if you're in, then you're out, et cetera. But... Yeah, we've just we've just got to see what happens. It's, it can be quite an uncertain time because, like I say, the guy we've got currently is, is interim, so we don't know how long. We've just got to take each week as it comes, really. And then, do you have sort of different values and beliefs getting thrown around now because of the new change in dynamic, or you know, is it still that you you want to keep on playing at the highest level? Or are there different values where I don't know, like has the team or environment changed a bit now that there's an interim coach, or is everything still a bit foggy? Um, to be honest, it's probably still a bit up in the air, but that's probably more from things being a bit uncertain. So our previous manager left around, oh God, when was it now? End of November, maybe. So it's not been like a quick changeover. Um, yeah. And you kind of feel like everybody, staff included, will feel like we're going week, one week to the next. So that can be a good thing because you're not really focusing too far on, the, on what's coming up, but... Yeah, at the end of the day, like we've all we all recognise where we are in the league, and we know that we need to get results, and that is the most important thing. So the mm. fact that we're going on a week to week basis, I don't think is a bad thing because we just need to face what's ahead of us at that time. And the common goal is to is to step our performance up as a group and to get points on a weekend. So from that perspective, it, nothing really changes. Yeah, and I mean, I'll tell you what, I'm sure with your sports um, massage, was it course mm-hmm. that you done? Um, are you getting a lot of um, buying from players? Are you going to have yeah. to make extra money on the side? <laughs> don't tell all the girls. I don't think they all know or else I'll end up with a kid. They don't know. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, you're going to start you now. They um, know now. They know now, yeah. It's you like if, if somebody can plait your hair, you have to keep that quiet or else you'll have a whole queue on a match day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, so what are your goals personally for this like next this coming season or this season for football? Um now that there is an interim coach, has it changed? Like, are you still going to fight or, you know, what are the goals? Yeah, so nothing on an individual level really has changed. Um, I still want to go and get as many games as I can personally um, each week. Obviously, as a player, you want to be playing, so that's important. Um, I want to improve as a player each game as well. Each week, I kind of focus quite a lot on on what I'm doing in training and I like to think that I can develop as much as I can. Um, and then from a physical point of view, um, I came back from an ACL injury this time last year. So it's been okay. about two years now, like post-op. So I've kind of finally kind of feel like I'm back to like my my previous level of like fitness and you know, like pain management, things like that post-surgery. So I'm just kind of progressing myself athletically as much as I can and just trying to push myself in the gym as well. So yeah, it's nice to be in a place where I feel like my body is allowing me to do that because previously... This time last year, I was probably just going each week, making sure I was able to play rather than being able to progress. So, yeah, it's quite nice to be able to feel like I'm actually, you know, working towards something again. Mm, that's great to hear. And then just a a little bit, um, a nice little bit really is, um, do you have any tips for anyone that would be going into the same sort of scenario as you, you know, trying to get it to the professional level whilst also doing some under undergraduate degree or anything academic really trying to balance and do that mm-hmm. juggling act do you have any with your experience of juggling do you have any tips for anyone i'd say david i thought you were laughing then 
Um, I would say my advice for anybody doing both um, studying and, and playing and things like that is just to prioritise in the moment what you need to do at that time. And that might even mean taking a break from something if you need to. Like, don't put too much pressure on yourself. Like, it's good to have more than one thing going on at the same time, but obviously that can be quite quite hectic and quite stressful. So when I was doing my master's and I was injured and I was training or being there part-time, that was obviously crazy stressful for me from an injury point of view. Um, and I found that sometimes I wasn't necessarily in the right headspace to be able to do the work that I needed to do. Um, it's just a case of letting the relevant people know that need to know that can help you. You know, like it might be that you just take a break or extend one of your deadlines or things like that. If you need help, like there's people that are there for you, particularly in a club environment and certainly in an academic environment. So like there's no real route that you need to go down or I need to do my degree in three years and I need to be a pro footballer in the next four years. Like everyone's journey is different. So just go with it and just like enjoy it. Basically set set your priorities. Um and then see that pro whatever you pick, that's what you're focusing on and, and don't focus on everything around it. Otherwise you'll be involved, have communications, build those relationships and then mm-hmm. also be, be flexible with yourself. Is, yeah, that's it. Just be flexible. Like, you know, you can, you can yeah. do multiple things at one time. Like I've worked yeah. two or three jobs and played professionally and done a master's. Like you can do it. That's it's just like give crazy. and take. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and, carnage. <laughs> Oh, oh, it's nuts. And I do, I, I do want to get into that just maybe even for 10 minutes and maybe not, you know, women football as a whole, because I don't think we'll be able to do that justice in 10 minutes. But, but even <laughs> just like in, in, in the uh, context of Sheffield, because you, the team made a big step this year, if I'm correct, moving to the big field of, of Bramall mm-hmm. Lane, correct? Right. So that, yeah. that's a huge step, I think. Um mm-hmm. As far as I see it, you could tell us more if it, if it is or not. But, no, but for you, what, what, where do you see that club going and what needs to happen both like for, for viewership or for within the club for, that, for your team to be able to take the next step of, of going from a part-time team to a full-time team? Like maybe, maybe what do people inside, uh, what needs to change like internally in the club and, and what mm-hmm. can happen externally uh, for for it to move keep moving forward yeah so it's obviously women's football is on a a massive kind of climb at the minute and progressing at a rapid rate which is fantastic to see and particularly off the off the euros as well there's been a massive upsurge in interest in the game which is what's fueling this kind of acceleration of it if you like you know there's a lot more interest a lot more people wanting to come and watch there's a lot more young girls wanting to play parents are now taking kids to all girls teams because they now know that they're available for them um things like that and with that the professional game is also developing um at the top level and throughout the whole pyramid so where we sit currently in the championship part of this championship um as a championship side we want to get promoted into the wsl which is the top division so that's our main focus, but that's also the focus of every other club in the championship right now. So it's quite competitive <laughs> and it's still yeah. a case of people, you know, well, clubs, if you like, investing in, in the game. And I think the word investment gets thrown around quite a lot. But what, what that means is it allows the athletes to perform and become the best athletes that we can be. And it means the club environment is the most professional that it can be. And, you know, you don't have to go and work multiple jobs on the side and turn up to training tired and 
travel two hours to training you know all these things that come with it with the part-time model that I think people maybe underestimate or don't necessarily know about all the time can take its toll and when you're an athlete trying to get to the top of your game and you realize that actually I've not had enough sleep or actually I've just trained till 10 p.m but I've got to be up at five for work in the morning things like that it's just silly <laughs> you know and, and that's, that's where the game's at right now that, that is where it's at but with more investment means that you know the club can support athletes better and the players better and hopefully we don't have to do those things and the girls coming through in young years will be able to step into a full-time um a full-time professional role and not have not have to like work alongside playing yeah and then and from it from an external point of view you know like like fans and and people coming to games or thinking about coming to games or even even kind of in grassroots what can people external to the club do uh do you think to to help in that in that promotion yeah it's just i think that's a that's a t- probably, i guess that's a million dollar question so it's no a pressure. tough one yeah i think <laughs> it's not us to perform at the end of the day do you know what i mean if you're a sheffield united yeah. fan and we're losing every week then that's not attractive so yeah you know, we, we want to like advertise the game in a positive way as much as we can and that that's us as players that's us as role models us, us as chef united um we can you know advertise the game as much as possible and make it accessible to as many people as possible the fact that we're at Bramwell Lane this season is a massive step and a massive driver in that as well so it's a great move from the club as a whole to say look Sheffield United fans here's your Sheffield United women's team you know if you can't get to a men's game can you come watch the women's team play can we do double headers can we you know advertise it in a way that's attractive to people and it kind of hits a different demographic of people as well we found like the women's game tends to appeal to a lot of a lot more like families and younger people and things like that um, in comparison to the men's game. So it's not that you necessarily say, oh, you want all Sheffield United men's fans to come and suddenly switch and be the women's team fans. It's not what you're asking for. It's just a case of here's the sport, come and give it a go. If it's not for you, fair enough. If it is, then then you know who we are. And, and the fact that we're at the main stadium now means that it feels a lot more inclusive for us as players and probably from a fan's point of view as well. So it's... Yeah, it is a big question. I <laughs> leave that one to the marketing yeah. and media and stuff. But yeah, it's nice. Like we've seen the fan bases have grown massively and the support we've had. Like we hit, I think, 11,000 people came down to watch one of our games just before Christmas at Bramwell Lane, which that's was amazing. unbelievable. And that's a league record. And so. that's just, that just makes it so much more fun, doesn't it? Like in a big stadium yeah. where just things look cool. Uh, it, as an athlete, it just makes it fun. And then when, when the yeah. stands get filled up as well, you know, and maybe yeah, I, what you made a, you made a good point there, where it's like it's not that we're trying to get all the fans from the men's team over to watch the women's as well. And you mentioned as well, like the the maybe the target audience of women's football is different, and just finding mm-hmm. that target audience of people that would really be into watching and supporting. Yeah, I think like the important thing has been up until now is people struggle to say yes, there is an interest in women's football. You know, that has been the biggest question. Are people bothered by it? Do they want to even watch it? But for me, that's not even the question anymore because we've just seen the record attendances that we've hit in the Euros, like a higher attendance yeah. for the, the women's yeah. Euros final than there has ever been for any men's Euros final. You know, you hit 97,000 people in Camp Nou watching, you know, games abroad and Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham, yeah, women's teams are all getting massive attendances at like the Emirates and Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, things like that. So it's not a case of do people want to watch women's football because clearly they do. We just need to keep it accessible mm. and, and keep marketing it well. And 
obviously the, the results and the actual product itself is important. But as more investment comes in and the standard of players gets better and becomes more professional and more elite, so does the game and, and the actual physical game that you're watching as well. So they kind of goes hand in hand. But yeah, the, the Euros have just proven that there is a huge interest in it. So it's just about, about capitalising on it and keeping that interest going, really. Do you think yeah, there's a I mean, do you think there's a little bit of sorry Matt I'm going to sneak in there. Do you think oh, there's really? a little bit of pressure <laughs> of um because obviously not all teams are full-time and there's some full-time teams and some not. Do you think that's that step of some people some teams now going full-time puts pressure on the other teams of like okay we need to be moving that, yeah, definitely. In that direction um, as well. We've seen Yeah, like the one the teams that have gone full-time um over the, if you look at over the last sort of three, maybe five seasons in the championship, teams that have, have been full-time in this division, they've been few and far between. So you had Man United um, one year, Tottenham another year, uh, Leicester the season I joined, um, Aston Villa as well. And they're the teams that have been promoted into the WSL because against the other teams in the division, they do have the advantage. You know, Players are eating, sleeping right, they're training more, they have more contact time. Um more opportunities to develop when they're not tired from working, you know, the list could go on, but at the end of the day, that yeah. is their profession and they are therefore favorites to win the league against a team where people are only part-time. So that's a huge factor in terms of them being favorites and, and actually getting that promotion. But now that more teams in this league are now full-time, it's a hugely competitive league and there's only one promotion spot as well. So you know, from a fan's point of view, it makes it a really great watch because you couldn't call going into each game who's going to win because you just you wouldn't know. But equally, the teams that are not um, sort of progressing to that full-time model, if you like, um, ourselves, I think possibly Sunderland, Blackburn, Coventry, there's a few teams that are kind of hybrid within there. Um, mm. It's just becoming harder and harder to to stay at the top end of the table or, or to progress out of the league when you're competing against teams that are full-time. So... Yeah, it's not to say that's an excuse, but it is a genuine factor that it is a bit of a challenge, I think. And that's going to happen as the game keeps moving. Yeah, yeah. Which I guess is good, yeah, but I'm... also bad. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. Just make it difficult. I wouldn't go into any game against a full-time team um, and kind of thinking, ah, oh, do you know what? They're full-time, therefore we're not expecting to get a result. That's absolutely not the case. And... I don't think right. full-time necessarily defines that you are going to be top dog, you know, in the division because right. you just can't tell. However, it does give you a massive advantage over the course of the year. Um, and I think as more teams do become more professional, it kind of is noticing a lot more. I was having a look at the games and um, the table, really, and it is, it is quite exciting. You're not sure who's going to win. You're not sure. Nothing's set in stone, really. Um, and I was just wondering, when's, when's your next big game? You know, the one that everyone's looking forward to. Is it the Good next question. game this weekend or is it the, you know, there's one that's on the whiteboard or already, already planted, they're already planning the whole strategic element of it? Well, where we're at at the minute um, at the table is not our favoured position. So at the minute, every game yeah. is a massive game. Um, we've got Durham away this weekend. So a team that's mm. close to us in the table, physical team. Durham is probably the hardest place to go for an away game. And I'm pretty sure nearly every yeah. team will say that. <laughs> Very physical place yeah. to go. Um, so, yeah, that's a tough one for us. Um, and then we've, we're back at home at Bramwell Lane. We've got Charlton after that. So every game is competitive. Every game is a chance to get three points. And that's just how we look at it at the minute. So there's no real standout games yeah. at the moment. Yeah. And then uh, I saw like you've got London City top of the table as well. 5th of mm -hmm. March. 
that's it, yeah. uh, should be a great turnout for that yeah um mm-hmm. no i mean it's just it just seems exciting and uh once uh david and i can somehow meet up and meet you know get ends to meet we'll definitely come down and watch and we'll be shouting from the stands um nice but yeah no just, that would uh, be that would be so game. much fun we'll be the first people to get kicked out of a game yeah. yeah, I'll tell you what, Ellie. I'll get David. To, yeah, I was going to say I'll get. I'll, I'll I'll teach David some of the terminology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where are the trainers? I'm not embarrassing myself. Is that the coach down there? Soccer. Is that the trainer? Yeah, so- soccer. Soccer. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, go ahead. David, David brings his cleats down for a bit of filming as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where's the ice? Oh Where's God. the ice? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, Oh, no, it was, it was it was great talking to you. It was it was an amazing, like just an amazing story to hear from the beginning how everything you've had to come through, everything you've had to deal with, and the stresses that can be imposed on someone trying to go through your journey, really. Um, mm-hmm. And then also just to enlighten, and I mean, David said this a million times, and I have to agree with him massively on this that we weren't able to cover everything in one episode. So there will definitely, mm-hmm. hopefully, in the future, be a second part where we can just dive in deep into the women's game or into the injuries that you know as i'm i'm not sure about but i think david and you know um i think that's a whole yeah, new no, podcast that one that's a whole separate one yeah <laughs> we're, we're gonna start a side podcast we just have ellie talking yeah but yeah no yeah. it's no, part it of the good. game isn't it so it's like you just get on with it it's part of it so yeah there you go and um, yeah. i think david rapid questions oh do you have some this oh, of is course the, I do, mate. This is the best part of the podcast, Ellie. Oh, you God. got five or six, depending on how generous Matt's feeling, rapid questions. We'll go, go, we'll go five. We'll go five. five. But they're, they're a proper nice ones. All right. Um, are you ready? <laughs> I think so. Okay. First one. Do you have your own Netflix account or do you use somebody else's? <laughs> I use someone else's. <laughs> nice. That's difficult now that they've stopped the sharing part, isn't it? Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, what is your guilty pleasure? My guilty pleasure? Um, I'm going to stick on the topic of films. I love Harry Potter. Oh, nice. That's a good mm. one. What is your go-to yeah. karaoke song? Uh, the first one that just popped into my head there was Sweet Caroline. That's probably not even the one. No. <laughs> so fo- that is, that's so football. I've just got football yeah. in my head right now, yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Even I know that as a foreigner. There you go. <laughs> and then, um, what was your last impulse buy? My last impulse trainers. buy? <laughs> Probably was trainers, yeah. New cleats. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah, it um, actually was, you know. <laughs> nice. And then last nice. one, a bit of an insight into you. What was the cringiest thing you did as a teenager? Oh, God, as a teenager. How young are we talking? Like, just anywhere in my teens. Yeah, oh, yeah. God. <laughs> Cringiest thing. Oh, I don't even know. That's so boring. I can't even think of anything. I've got too many to choose from. Ah, yeah, 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 there's that many. What did I do? We're going to have to ask oh. your brothers that, maybe. I don't know. I, this is pre-teenager. So this is when I was like a kid. I used to love Avril Lavigne. So, nice. you know, the singer. So I used to like dress up and she was kind of like my inspiration <laughs> in terms of my outfits nice. even when i wasn't like dressing that's up like go. as a kid I'd, I'd kind of like the whole style that she had going on so that's nice love that do Hopefully you, do you still dress as avril lavigne for halloween then no i don't <laughs> yeah. but i i do quite like putting a playlist on in my car i'm not gonna lie no nice. the throwbacks on there you go that's a pre-game playlist then yeah, yeah she would feature in it 
There you go. Thank you so much for coming on. No worries. Yeah, Thank really, you for having me. Really appreciate it, Ellie. That, that was fantastic. <laughs> no, I'm glad to say it. it was good. Good talking over stuff. I like it. Well, there you go, David. I'll tell you what. That was a great interview. I mean, straight after that, I'm already thinking like, what can I do different as an SNC coach? What am I? What are my flaws that she mentioned in that chat? And it was just amazing to see also how I could relate to her in terms of trying to juggle a master's with placement and how she's juggling. Well, not obviously to her degree because she was just juggling a master's and professional sport. How do you even do that, David? I know. Honestly, that that was incredible. Just to hear her story of of not only through football or academics, but both. And we didn't even touch injury. And, and I'm so excited to be able to get her back on to talk a little bit about that. But even that was just so many nuggets that, like you said, you can take away, you know, whether you're juggling sports and academics and trying to, you know, prioritize what's important to you at that moment. Or if you're like yourself, an SNC coach, you know, trying to get better. I think being able to hear from an athlete who's also been a trainer on both sides is just was so incredible. Uh, and, and yeah, just see, see like what's important. And to hear her say also of how important, you know, communication, building relationships, you know, making sure that 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 you show that you value people. And that's actually what's more important. Because I think often like at those high level athletes, we think like, oh, just like um, how with their performance on the field, that's most important. Right. Which obviously is. But to show, but to hear from from an athlete, it's like, no, it, it's important for me that I know that they value me you know, and, and to build that relationship yeah. was, was honestly unbelievable. I hope that you, everyone who listens to this enjoys it. If you did, we would love it that you share it. If you're on YouTube, you know, hit subscribe, comment what you thought. What was your favorite thing? What did you take away? What do you have any more questions for Ellie? Cause we're, we're hoping to get her back. So if you have questions for Ellie, you know, toss them either, either DM us, put them, put us, Put them in the comments below if you're on YouTube, you know. Show some Ellie some love. Go follow her on Instagram and Twitter because we really appreciate her giving us her time uh, for that interview because it was just, it was absolutely amazing. Matt, do you have anything else, anything else to add? I think if I did add anything else, it would just do it injustice. It wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't help at all because, yeah, just go listen to the interview and I'm sure you enjoyed it like we did as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, on that note, Matt, why don't you take us out? Episode 21. We'll see you next Tuesday. This has been the RSS Podcast. We're out. (laughs) 